The topic tonight is going to be sex outside of marriage and whether or not that is a sin. So I'm going to try to start structuring these Thursdays in the same way every time. Being that, we'll have a, either a question, a problem, or an issue or topic. We're going to identify what the problem is. What is the issue? What is the problem? What is the question? And then how we try to solve it. So for this one, the question or problem that we're trying to solve is like this. The first thing we need to identify and define is marriage itself. Otherwise, any conclusion we draw is not really worth anything. It's a pretty worthless conclusion. Anyone in the Christian space has been told repeatedly that having sex or any kind of sexual interaction with somebody of any kind outside of a legal, signed by the state, your local government, anything outside of that is a sin. Doesn't matter if you've been together for 20 years, you got kids, you've been living together, you got a healthier marriage than somebody who did sign the paper and they're awful to each other and the guy beats her and she screams at him. Doesn't matter. You didn't sign the paper, therefore you're not married, therefore your sexual intercourse is a sin. That is the issue. That is a topic. That is a problem. So that's what we're going to try to figure out. In my eyes, there's really a few things within trying to define marriage. We have modern marriage and we have biblical marriage. They could not possibly be more different. So how do we rectify the fact that the type of marriage the Bible speaks on is not the type of marriage we enter into today if you get married? And then is there a way to rectify? Can you? Is it possible? Or does a new structure need to be figured out? It's something that, in my opinion, we're just ignoring. All of Christianity is just ignoring. Marriage is the same as it was back then, even though it's obviously not. And so we function off of these same rules that were written in the Bible to people who were at that time in those places having those kinds of marriages, which do not mirror our current marriages today. So what is biblical marriage? And I'm, I'm going to try to keep them super short. That's why the conversation at the end, if you guys want to dig in deeper, the first big title is what is marriage? Or I'm sorry, what is biblical marriage? So Christian marriage takes us back to basically the very beginning. If you go back to the garden with our first covenantal marriage, which was Adam and Eve, regardless of whether it's a poetic story or a literal one, meaning like our, our, was it last week or whenever we talked about Genesis, regardless of whether you see Genesis as a literal event that happened, Adam and Eve were literal people. They were literally in the Garden of Eden. The snake was literally Satan and literally had them disobey God. Or whether you see that as an illustration or alliteration or some kind of poetic story to express what happened through creation, it doesn't really matter. Either way, the story is meant to express an idea or a concept. So whether it's literal or whether it's uh, an illustration of some kind, that's our first example of a covenantal marriage agreement. It's based on the covenantal promise in Genesis 2, 24, which says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This consisted of basically three things. You have leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. That is what the marriage was. Nothing else. Just those things. The, the directive was then reiterated by Christ in both Matthew and Mark. So in both of those Gospels, you have that reiterated, that concept, that that is what a marriage is. You also have it reiterated by Paul in Ephesians. So that's triple threat, very important New Testament uh, 
New Testament scripts, basically, trying to lay out this foundation of what is marriage, what constitutes what a covenantal marriage is between us as a couple and God. Malachi, the prophet, also said this, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and your wife, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, by covenant. Here, we're getting a pretty clear indication that marriage is not solely between a man and a woman, but also with the Lord, quote unquote, from Malachi, who was, quote, a witness of the promise and the vow, end quote. This is further indicating that marriage is a set of promises that form a covenant that is between the couple and God, period, period, biblically, period, not between the couple and a local government that did not come until later. So period, it is a set of promises that form a covenant between the couple and God, period, for the man. It is a promise to love his wife as Christ loved the church. This comes out of Ephesians. It is a promise to live sacrificially for his wife. Again, Ephesians. It is to lead the wife spiritually. Guessed it, Ephesians. And it's to leave his parents and cleave alone to his wife. Same part of Ephesians. It is a promise of monogamy. 1 Corinthians he and Hebrews mention that. For the woman... It is a promise to joyfully submit to her husband. And these are pulled from somewhere. So don't come at me. We can have a conversation about them because I mostly agree with them. It is a promise to joyfully submit to her husband. That's Ephesians also. It is a promise to respect her husband. That is to Ephesians also. And it is a promise of monogamy. So they, they basically essentially mirror themselves. I do feel, I want to say, I want to say right away. I do feel that where I pulled this expression from, the men and the women and the explanations of, I don't fully agree with. Because they left more on the man then on the woman, and then they put no detail whatsoever. So I, I didn't like that, but I wanted to put this in here because I figured at some point you guys might want to talk about it because it gets a little bit heated with that. But the last one was monogamy. So they both obviously share the monogamy. But therefore, the marriage to be for a marriage, to be a marriage in the eyes of God, a covenant must be a part of the process, not a document, a covenant. A document is not mentioned whatsoever in any of those things. It is not a requirement. Therefore, for, no, actually, let's stop right there. I haven't even looked. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. All right, I think we're good. Shannon, will you just unmute yourself and tell me to shut up? If I miss something important, that'd be great. Because then I don't have to uh, stop steam well, here. So I'm currently going into full IT mode. Um, my Wi-Fi just decided to take a poop. Lovely. Okay, then I'll keep an eye out just in case. Okay, you're, you're sorry. Good. Do your thing. No, do your thing. All right, so continuing with biblical marriage, getting in getting in a little bit deeper now into it. There are, there are very, yeah, I'll say there's very. It's very obvious in many more examples and references to marriage. We have a, a whole ton. The Bible actually, if you, if, you, if you were to pull everything that had anything to do with marriage, it's actually talked about a lot. It's talked about very extensively. Not always consistently, but to be honest, it's fairly consistent with how the Bible depicts what a marriage is, how a marriage functions, everything within that kind of context. However, I will assure you that none of them involve any state, region, or government as a means to solidify or substantiate that union. So although there is some involvement of those things, there is absolutely nothing 
that says that it is something that is required, that any agreeance or admission from the state, from the local government or from the region, has anything to do with whether a marriage was valid or not. Because marriages, as we already kind of talked about, marriages existed before the government ever did. Marriages existed before large groups of people ever walked the planet, at least from a biblical perspective. So why all of a sudden is that a requirement? Well, it's not. Even throughout the whole rest of the Bible, it's never a requirement. It's something that we decided was a requirement later on that isn't based in the Bible, in my opinion, based on the Bible. One other source here has this to say on this kind of issue. The question may arise, what about cultural and governmental expectations in marriage? Time would, time would fail me in pursuing out all of the nuances that are involved in the question, but in short, while I believe the government has no place in the marrying business, a Christian should do all that is possible to live within the government guidelines for marriage in their land. They're pulling that from, I wonder if anybody knows. What, it, what is the one part of the Bible that people pull out and throw at somebody when it comes to obeying governmental laws? Because they're, especially I feel like recently, within the past couple of years, you've had some kind of sect of Christianity respectfully rise up and kind of push back on the U.S. government specifically. Specifically when, you know, Cove came and the Vax and everything like that. You had a pretty decent sect of Christianity and come up and obviously because a lot of we're not going to get political, but a lot of people had an issue with some of that stuff. Right. So they became vocal about it. And the naysayers to those Christians would pull out this verse. Rodriguez got it. It's Romans 13. Anytime Christians are talking about laws, government laws, local laws, federal laws, the Romans verse always gets thrown out. Leviticus sometimes, but it, Leviticus is so easy to talk away. It's not even, you, I mean, you know how I feel about it. It's not even worth talking about. Romans, however, is under the new covenant. Therefore, Christians are like, oh, crap, it's the new covenant. I got to listen to that. But no, but no, but let me continue. So he continues on saying, thus, if possible, a couple should follow whatever cultural practices are required by law for them to be recognized as a legally married couple. Blah. Blah. I would push back on this. And I would push back by asking why. Why? Why does the government have to have anything to do with the marriage process? Why is it that the government is the final say on whether you are married to someone or if you've made a covenant with them and God, being the husband and wife and God? Why? Why? I've never heard a good answer to that. It isn't a biblical answer. It can't be justified by, any, by anything foundational in the faith whatsoever. And furthermore, why do Christian couples need to do anything? to be recognized as a legal married couple, quote unquote. Why do any Christian couples need to be anything that is recognized as a legal married couple? Why? Why? I'd love to hear if you guys think you have a reason for that. Push back. I've never heard a good answer. Why? I don't feel that, I don't feel any need, neither spiritually, emotionally, or physically, to have my covenant with my spouse, somebody I have an intimate romantic relationship and, and, and an intimate, you know, at least intention to spend the rest of my life with them in an intimate setting, being in my personal life, that if, if anything goes right in the world, I want the local and the federal government as uninvolved as humanly possible. Why? Why? Why does it need to be recognized by the state in order for it, for it to be seen as legitimate before God? I would love to hear that. Why? To be legitimate before God why does it need to be legitimate, 
Why does it need to be made legitimate? First, by the government. Why? Marriage without the government does not violate any local or federal laws. Therefore, the Romans quote is ridiculous. It makes no sense and it's not valid to throw out this topic. It's, it's completely unrelated. Nothing about deciding you're married to somebody with a promise and a covenant before God violates any local or federal laws. So the Romans verse is almost always used out of context, but within this context is absolutely not appropriate. In our face and down our throat. <laughs> so on, on one hand, yes. If you wish to be seen by the government as married, if that is something you desire, whether that be for tax purposes or for social pressures or wants from your family or your friends, whatever, you would need to follow the governmental regulations by being married by the state, for sure. So if that's something that is of value to you or something that you feel that you need, then yes, you would need to follow governmental regulations to get that. And you should. You shouldn't break the law. That's something you should avoid whenever possible. However, should you not care for the tax break, not care about the social pressures to be married or the familia pressures to be married or any of that, a legal marriage is not necessary for the union before God to be legitimate. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Remember, no humans got married ever under governmental approval until very late in our faith's history. When governments grew, basically, and began to take control of its citizens, it was a control tactic more than anything else. At least in the beginning. That's what it was. I would argue it still is, but at least in the beginning it was. Again, remember, Adam and Eve were married. They sure as hell didn't sign a form. That never happened. Didn't exist. All right, before we pop into the Old Testament, let me see if I miss anything here. And I would say that the Vatican and Catholicism has a lot to do with it. As much as I like to throw Catholics under the bus, I think it was already ruined before them. But they definitely perpetuated it. Like, I, I guess I agree. They perpetuated it ex exponentially, for sure, because they were all about the control. But it was already happening, but, you know, far before them, as much as I, I love to blame the Vatican for anything. Uh, Rodriguez got the full verse for us. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Oh, God, I'd love to get into that, though. It's probably not a good idea. If you guys want to get into that when we go, uh, when we go to the conversation, we can do that. We can do that. I hate that verse. It's a verse that just drives me absolutely crazy, but I'm going to really try to shut up and not go crazy. All right, insurance, blah, blah, blah. It's purely legal. Yeah, that's, that's my opinion as well. It's purely legal. I have a few friends who chose not to get married under the government, but my husband and I felt convicted to be married with a marriage license. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I hope it's not coming across like I'm against marriage. I'm not at all. I'm not at all. I will get married. You know, it's, it's not at all against marriage. I'm, I'm very much against this idea that you're not married unless you're married by the government. I'm very much, very much disagree with that. That's all. If people choose to get legally married, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're absolutely entitled to that. And there are benefits. There's definitely benefits. Follow the money trail to all the guilty hands in the pot. Boom. Always. Always. It's all about the money and all about the control. Weren't they the ones who came up with the divorce clause also? Well, so I guess that's, that's kind of a more complicated question. And I honestly don't know a, a whole lot about it. So I'm not going to speak out of turn. But I know that Catholics have different rules for divorce. So they, they have kind of a, 
God, I was just listening to something about it too recently. I can't remember what they call it, but they, they have like a very specific guideline for divorce. Catholics do that is outside of kind of general Christianity. And I, I want to say, but don't quote me, I, b- I believe it's also outside of governmental divorce. Like you, you have to get approved for divorce through the Catholic Church first, I believe, I believe. And then you can go through with a governmental divorce. TikTok, go to YouTube. I'm legally married. Yeah, you see so Shannon and Gargar are married. I'm sure, hope you're not against marriage. <laughs> I'm not. You already know that. You already know. There are biblical reasons for divorce. There are. I, I would push that there are more than biblical reasons for divorce as well. I don't believe the Bible covers everything that should be. I should tell you the story of what my pastor said when he found out we were living together for 10 years. Oh, can you please? Can you please get in the voice at the end? I would love to hear that story. Everybody would love to hear that story. Malachi says the hardening of men's hearts is the reason. The reason for what? Divorce? Does Malachi say anything about divorce? Or did I miss something else you posted? I might have missed something else. Those have changed recently. They have a non-civil annulment process now. Correct, and you have to pay for the non-civil. No, of course you have to pay for it. Come on, man. Why would you not have to pay for something from the church? Come on. For Catholics and Orthodox, yes, you do have to get approval by the church first to get divorced. Catholics and Orthodox are different, though. I would not lump you in, because I know you're Orthodox, with the Catholics. They have a very different, or I, I, would, I guess, God, I'm going to get hate for this, but I would put it like this. Catholics are much more about control and less about spiritual goodness. And in my view, in my opinion, Orthodox is much more about spiritual goodness and tradition and much less about control. So I would never lump you guys together. Oh, wait, I didn't know you were. Hello, future mom. All right. All right. All right. I'll come back in a minute. So moving, moving forward from an Old Testament perspective, there was at a point a contract of sorts that was signed. We're not just going to pretend like it didn't happen because it doesn't align with what I want. It existed, so we're going to talk about it. Still, when compared to today's marriage, however, our contract, it still could not be more different or for more different reasons. So let's get into that. Betrothal was a signed and witnessed legal contract, a legal agreement that was as important as the marriage ceremony itself. Unfaithfulness during this period was described as adultery and punished by death. Punished by death is very important. Remember that. The story of Mary and Joseph is instructive in revealing the covenant aspect of the committal to marriage. The marriage contract had been signed, but the wedding had not yet taken place. It followed that if Mary was pregnant, she must have given herself to somebody other than Joseph. He had the right to dissolve the contract, but was unwilling for Mary to be exposed to the shame of the public disclosure. While he was wondering how he could make a secret separation, his problem was solved. Appearance of the angel, yada, yada, yada. The wedding took place, but no active sexual union occurred until after the birth of Jesus. At this stage of their experience, it was vital for Mary to have the pledged support of Joseph and equally important for him to know that she was in truth a virgin for a multitude of reasons that aren't really related to right now. The contract at this point in history, was not for government's sake. So was there a contract? Yes. Was it for government's sake? No. 
That's a huge differentiating factor, as it didn't necessarily exist. Government still didn't really exist in the way that it exists today. They obviously did have a form of government, but it did not exist for the reasons or in the way that it exists today. For more than anything else, it was for punishment's sake. Were one of the sons, I'm sorry, for one of the soon-to-be's, the soon-to-be-married couple, if they committed adultery, they were under contract and thus could be punished for breaking it. The contract primarily was there for punishment. It was there to punish somebody who went against the contract. The other thing, one of the other things, but the other thing we all need to kind of keep in mind, however unpleasant it is to discuss, is the placement of different genders and the reason for marriage itself at this time in history. A primary reason for marriage was not love. Sorry, y'all. It was not. Had, it had very little, if anything, to do with love. But it certainly became a more valid part as history progressed. Love. It became a more valid part of marriage. Did not start that way, though. Initially, many marriages were financial. They were power-based. Or they were bloodline moves on the part of the parents that many times had little or nothing to do with the couple or what they actually wanted and primarily were there to benefit the man. The woman was kind of just there. Not always, obviously. A lot of these people still fell in love anyways, for sure. But the motives were very different than motives for marriage today. Many of these marriages did become loving because marriage to a point is an agreement and commitment to love and take care of each other, to raise children together, and to navigate life together. So even if it didn't start that way, there are records of, of these people learning to love each other. Emotion not there in the beginning. Emotion developed over time because they did life together. They raised a family together. You'll notice next that the reason for marriage flipped at some point in history. Very obviously. It wasn't about power anymore. It wasn't, I mean, sometimes for sure. But primarily, it wasn't about power, wasn't about money, and was not about pleasing one's parents. It comes primarily about emotions, which are fleeting, as most of us adults know, and less about a decided agreement to weather life together, no matter what, became more about how do I feel, I want to take an action on how I feel, and let's get married because of that. That puts us into modern marriage. So let me see if I miss anything here. Okay, uh-oh. You want me to take the QR code down? You got it, lady. You got it, babe. I'm remarried. All right, yeah, there we go. I'm remarried, and we also didn't live together before we were married. We felt convicted of that as well, speaking for myself, for sure. And I know people have done that, and they're very happy, and they're still together, and it worked for them. And I, I still I stand by that. That's probably the... It's probably almost, if not the smartest thing you could do, would be to just wait. There are risks to that too, though. Same with moving in together. There are risks to not knowing how somebody lives minute by minute in their private life before you marry them. Like there's risks to it. But there's, there's arguably more risks if you run around moving in with a bunch of people and then it not working out or you run around having sex with a bunch of people and it not working out. So I mean, there's risks either way. But I, that's, I'm a big supporter of if, if you do that, that's phenomenal. Good for you. Okay, I'm corrected about Catholics. Orthodox, you definitely have to ask permission. And yes, you are correct about those differences of the two. Joe is thrilled to have your validation. 
True, in Old Testament, the certificate of marriage and a certificate of divorce existed through the Israeli authorities. Yep. Betrothal was as simple as a man sliding a wine glass across the table to a woman, and if she drank, he said yes. If not, that's a... In some cases, yeah, for sure. There, there were more intricate, like, betrothal processes, though. There, if that's something you ever are interested in, in studying, study the betrothal process. Um, study it from different cultures, but obviously, specifically, Jewish culture. It's, it's kind of funny. If you really read into it, it's kind of funny. It's entertaining. My second marriage was also conducted in a school gym, not a church. I like that. That's cool. That's cheap. It's not flashy. I like it. Also, depending man and woman sitting next to a water well in literature means a sort of betrothal, I believe, Jacob and Rachel. I would have to double check on that, honestly. I, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn. Somebody should find that. I'll read it. Y'all were... Were there before Had, though, right? Still church? Y'all were there before God, though? Is that what that means? My brain's not processing that, Jalen. I apologize. You see that a lot in the military. Wait, if we go by the old ways of contracts, don't you owe me 25 heads of cattle for my daughter's hand? I mean, technically, yeah, because her father is not going to receive them, right? So they would go to you. I would, you'd get quite a, I think you'd get more than that, actually. I'd owe you more than that. A primary reason for marriage was resources, children, and provision, and the New Testament teaches more about marriage to be loving. Yes, both true. See money. Oops, it was Matthew, not Malachi. Okay, that makes more sense. Matthew, not Malachi. That makes more sense. Uh, Matthew 19.8, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Yeah, well, yes, divorce was never God's original design. Yeah, definitely. This needs to get discussed. Matthew 9.19, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. It's kind of, it's kind of funny. We'll see if we have time tonight. But that, that can be a whole thing in and of itself. And a couple months ago, I got like, I got easily more than 10 DMs in like a three-day period from women who asked that exact question about whoever, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits sin. You do need to parallel it to, and I'm not going to be able to remember what the verse is. I'm sure I can find it though, but there's another verse that says something else about uh, permissible divorce. But it was just very odd. Like in a three-day period, I had like more than 10 women reach out and ask, I want to get remarried or I did get remarried. Is this a sin? It's a real tough conversation, but we should talk about it. Uh, remind me at the end. Yep. Uh, my ex initially threatened divorce because he wasn't happy, but I wasn't okay with it until I found all the dating sites. Dang. Promiscuous pictures and videos he's had. Then I was like, okay, but yeah, for sure. For sure. That to me, that's like an immediate, please leave. That's we're done. There's no conversation. Uh, this it's too much. Whoops. I'm late. Danny. Good to see you, Danny. Why can't I scroll down? Hold on. I agree about adultery. See my above comment. Yep. How is it a risk to live with someone before marrying, not knowing their behavior before you stick with them? How is it a risk? Because how many times are you going to do that? 
How many times, how many years are you going to waste? What does that open you up to being in a, a private, closed, intimate setting with somebody that you, you probably don't know well? If you do know them well, then you're wasting a lot of years trying to do that prior. There's, there's risks to it. It's, it's risky behavior. But like I said, so is the other. The other is also risky. Moving in with somebody that you've never seen privately or you've never spent you know, lengthy times with them in private. You don't know how they live in their private life. You don't know if their mannerisms or the little things that they do are going to drive you absolutely crazy. Should that be a reason that you turn them down, like that you blow the marriage though? No, I don't think so. No, but there's still risk in that. There's risk either way. Just like having sex with a bunch of people because you want to is risky. Jesus replicated that at the last supper with his disciples. We got married in the chapel in the Navy hospital of work. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but you guys are doing the thing now, though. Such as their loud chewing. Then he asked for their hand from her father, and he worked for it only to be filled and married. Oh my gosh, just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> uh, I feel like you can learn most things about somebody without having to move in with them. You can stay at their house till 9 p.m., I mean, you, you can get around that and not have to move all your stuff into their house, cancel your lease. I don't, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. So then you do that. You find out three months later, it wasn't the right call. And then what? You're SOL. Now you got to go sign a new lease. You got to find somewhere to live. Shannon goes, oh, that's sweet. Yes, I'm sure that's. But adultery could be in the heart and thoughts as well, not just the act. 100%. That's the biggest problem with porn. There's really not a whole lot of difference between porn and sleeping with somebody. Obviously, the difference is there. I'm not, I'm not playing that it's not. But it, how much of a difference is it really if I've decided to sexually step out on my partner? Whether it's by myself with a screen or whether it's with another person physically is beside the point. It's, it's, I made a choice that my partner is not enough, whether you want to blame them for not giving you what you need or whether part of it is your fault for not expressing what you need, whatever the case is, regardless, you've made a choice and then you've made an action to step out of the marriage. I don't, I don't care whether you slept with somebody or whether you're watching porn all the time. To a degree, it's kind of beside the point. The point is you abandon your partner. Whether you feel like they deserved it or not, or like you deserve to get the sexual gratification because they're not giving it to you or not, those are separate issues. But you stepped out and you made an action to do something about it in a negative way. Let me answer that question, please, about the risk. Have the gold medal. Okay, Teal. The, the risk of living together? Teal, are you in Discord? No, you're not. Okay, if, if you want to jump in on that, then go to Discord and unmute yourself. If they aren't annoying, like messy, then it would be a quick decision. <laughs> this is a rough topic. I waited until marriage and it fell apart. I think I looked at waiting until marriage as a quid pro quo. I, uh, I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think I, I'm not stupid. I, th I think there are absolute risks in waiting until marriage also, though. There are absolute risks to that too. 
here just checking hi all what's the score on today's topic is it a sin or not we haven't really gotten there yet we haven't really gotten there yet we're about to keep rolling on but you guys are blowing stuff out so fast so would you say the ideal situation is to get to know somebody for years and then date them and marry still before moving in together from a scriptural perspective i think that's ideal yes I think that's the that's ideal situation. Hold on, T, I'm gonna mute you for a minute. There's background. Uh, Danny, uh, yes, yes. But still, at the end of the day, like maybe you guys don't move in together, you spend a whole bunch of time together at night, in the morning, you get to see each other throughout like all per- periods of the day, right? Cool. I think that is best, best call, 100%. There's no reason to move in together before that. Sex is where it gets tricky because there, you, you could save yourself you could not have sex. Then you could get married legally, not just covenant, but legally move in together, have sex and be like, this is awful. I don't know how much that actually happens because I feel like if the two people communicate well, even if you got to give a little take a little like you're not really that into whatever they're asking for, there's give and take. But as long as you guys are communicative and willing, then I think you can make sex work. But I can imagine situations where nothing can be done and just the sex is awful. But is life about sex? No. So should it break up the marriage? I don't know. I mean, these are the, these are the tough questions, right? 1 Corinthians 5.17 talks about permissible divorce because of the abandonment from, the unbelie- from an unbeliever. That's the one I was thinking of. Thank you. I think this happened to me as well. He left all Bibles when he moved back to his hometown. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of. I have teens and they ask me, why should I wait until marriage? It didn't help your marriage out. I have nothing to say. Yeah, you do. Just, your, your transgressions do not set a rule. It is something that happened to you specifically. That has nothing to do with what a, what a set standard or a moral standard should be. Even, even good moral things fail at times and produce consequences that are negative. That still happens. That's a very childish thing to ask. Or not to ask, but to say. Specifically to a parent, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, unless you're two children getting married and living out of your parents' house for the first time and realizing that one of you never had to do chores. Sure, but sounds like solvable problems, man. First Corinthians 7.15, uh, the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us. Oh, I lost it. That was most of it, though. So modern marriage, modern marriage, trash, in my opinion, somewhere along the way. Through history, marriage began, like I said earlier, it, we had a shift. It was long, it was slow, but it started. And to save time, instead of going through all of the historical shift, because it's, it was a very slow process, we're just going to jump to right now. So modern marriage is now a contract signed between the couple and the state in which they resided. We now live in a time where a little more than half of all, depending on the statistic you use, but it's, it's anywhere from 30% from some Christian statistic fields. They'll say that Christians have a lower divorce rate, but some other really good, uh, like Pew Research disagrees with that. Regardless, we'll call it between 30 and 65% of divorces, or I'm sorry, of legal marriages end in divorce. The standard statistic you're going to hear pretty much anywhere else is about 50%. Still, garbage odds. That's a real bad ratio. We live also in a time with modern marriage where more children are growing up in a single parent household than ever in history, which has proven statistically to be one of the literal worst things that has ever happened in societies. 
Children growing up in single-parent households is one of the most damaging things that has ever happened in human history, where more people get married for emotional reasons, like we were talking about earlier, love being that emotional reason, rather than anything having anything to do with practicality, uh, logic, or intentional reasons really of any kind, such as raising good children or building a strong family to help maintain society. That was a big part of what families were for a long time. Families were built and developed to maintain and progress society so that we could progress. That was a big thing. That's not what it's about anymore. Now it's entirely self-serving. It's entirely selfish. So is it really a wonder at all why the divorce rate has increasingly gotten worse? No, it seems pretty obvious to me personally. Consider also no-fault divorce brought in by Reagan in the rough you know, 1970s, I think. Couples are no longer incentivized to stay together. In fact, modern marriage incentivizes divorce. Arguably, incentivizes women more towards divorce than men, but it still dramatically incentivizes men to also get divorced. However, it still statistically, again, is less because a lot of the time if a woman leaves for X, Y, and Z reasons, she takes his money and still we live in a time where primarily in most cases, definitely not all, and that's it's shifting massively, but still in most cases, most standard cases, the man is making more money than the woman if she's making money at all. So when she leaves, she takes money. But there's this whole thing, right? So, and it's not, I'm not blaming women or blaming men. I'm saying women are highly incentivized to divorce. It's just a thing. It's a thing that is happening. Women will openly talk about it depending on what sect of society you listen to information from. It's a thing. It's sad, but it's a thing. But still, men are very incentivized as well. There's no reason to stay married really anymore. There's really just not. In the event of a divorce, many times one party will also leave the marriage substantially better off, again, the, the money thing primarily, better off from either that financial aspect, but oftentimes it obviously goes to the children as well. So one of the parents, most of the time, this is not half, this is not 30%, this is more than 75% of the time, one parent sees the kid twice a week. That's horrible for society, it's horrible for the child on an individual basis, and it's horrible for the parents. There's actually a very high suicide rate for the parent in a divorce who does not receive adequate child custody. So adapt, again, primarily things are changing, but primarily, I hope nobody wants to argue about this, but primarily women gain greater custody over children than men. Therefore, the statistic shows that there is a, there's a shocking number of men who commit suicide because they don't have involvement in their child's life. Now, I'm not discounting the men who are shit and don't, sorry, but are crap and don't deserve a place in their child's life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dads who do, who, who were good dads, desired to be good dads, and because the mother wanted to be vindictive or whatever, decided to take the child away and not do 50-50 custody. Again, I'm not blaming women. I understand all of this is very nuanced, and I understand men suck. Fully aware of that. Fully on your side with that. However, this is just the way they lean in the modern landscape. Till death do us part means nothing in the modern marriage landscape. It means absolutely nothing. Two becoming one flesh, even within a Christian sphere, in my personal opinion, means nothing. It's not, it's not held anymore. We don't hold that 
to anything anymore. It's, it's till you annoy the hell out of me, till it's not convenient, till I don't feel shit anymore. Sorry, I'm getting aggravated now, so now I'm swearing. It's those. It's not till death do us part. In sickness and in health, until you die, girl, till you die, like it or not, you are here, you will deal with me, I will deal with you, and we will get through this. To becoming one flesh, that shouldn't be taken lightly, and I feel like it's just, it's like a cute thing that said, it's up on the little canvas on the wall, it's in the church, he, the pastor says it when he marries you, sure, but what does that mean? I, physically, can you become one flesh with something and then become one flesh with something else? No, no, you can't. So once you become one flesh, it is what? Till death do us part. So if you lose one, you lose the other. And if you lose one, you lose both. And if anything, it could be argued that going through with a governmental marriage, people are opening themselves up to the downside risk, which is all of the above. More downside risk specifically than upside benefit. And that's the problem. And if I don't know what you guys listen to or what spheres you're in or whatever. I, I listen. So anybody who knows me knows I don't really watch TV sometimes with cat in bed for like 30, 30 minutes, an hour tops while I'm falling asleep. But we'll watch a show or something. Otherwise, I never watch TV ever, ever, ever. I listen to educational stuff. I listen to motivational stuff. Like I like to consume information and knowledge and stuff like that's what feeds me. However, there is a podcast that I can't not listen to because I'm so out of touch with the world because I'm so focused. I'm like hyper-focused and zoned into my own life. I wake up very early in the morning and then I work literally all day long. So I just, I'm very out of touch. I have no idea what kids are doing. I have no idea what college, I have no clue about anything at all. Plus, I spent five years in a special college away from all of society. So my life has been very isolated. So I listened to the whatever podcast. And if any of you guys know what that is, and I'm not like a casual listener, like I watch most of them. I don't watch. I listen to most of them. They're like three to four hours long. And it's a dating podcast, primarily with between 20 and 30 year old people. And they talk about marriage and sex and divorce and and all this stuff, right? And it just, it absolutely blows me away. But when you hear these conversations and you hear these women talk about how they will just use a guy for money. And then you'll also hear though, these guys talk about how they have no desire to get married. So with, with like the movement and the shift in the dating landscape today, it's a huge risk for men to get married and women don't want to get married. Young, I should say girls. Girls don't want to get married. So what was already a, a, an absolute garbage institution, now nobody really wants to be a part of it at all. So is, is there any way to reconcile that with something that would make more sense? Because marriage has become something that doesn't really make sense. Consider also that this is probably planned. Right. I feel, I feel like we have a decent amount of conspiracy people in this group. Does the government benefit from marriage? Yes or no. Does the government benefit from divorce? Yes or no. Does the, the government benefit from broken families and confused children? Yes or no. 
from children being raised in a single parent household, does the government benefit from that? Yes or no? And does the government benefit from young boys not having strong, present, engaged fathers in their home and young girls, but young kids? Does the, does the, well, we'll keep it in the U.S. because most of us, if not all of us, are in the U.S. Does the United States government benefit from the foundational family being broken? 100%. 100%. Whether it's monetary, what they get financially by breaking the home, or whether it's control. Either way, they win. Either way. They win if you get married. They win again when you get divorced. In a a myriad of ways, they win. So we've created this culture now. And let's let's go back to Christianity, okay? All all y'all are Christians. So from a Christian perspective, should we give a fuh about governmental marriage? And I don't care if you do. I'm not hating on it. I'm saying, and you're free to, like I said, I, there will be a marriage in my personal life. We will get married. It's something that I want to do. However, it irks the hell out of me that the government signs the paper and it's, it's, it messes with my head a lot. I don't believe in it. I don't believe in legal marriage today, the way it is today. I believe in marriage 100%, 100%, but I don't believe in what it is today. And I think we're on... I think in the 90s, we started a really, a more shallow, slippery slope with marriage. And I feel like the mid-2000s, the slope just dropped. And now it's a free fall. Marriage has become an absolute free fall. We're incentivized to break the contract. Why would people sign a contract that the other person is incentivized to break? It doesn't make any damn sense. For either party. For either party. It's not just one person getting screwed. And more and more people, luckily, are waking up and being like, "Uh, I don't really need the government to be a part of that. What do they do? I get the tax break, sure. Is that worth it? What if you do get divorced? Will the tax break financially account for an adequate amount of money that will offset the cost of divorce? No. In most cases, no. It won't. The tax break won't mean crap. If you get divorced, that's a financial travesty for a lot of families. It's an emotional travesty for children. Why put them through that? You can make agreements with someone personally, and then you can make the covenant and promise, which is what the Bible actually talks about, between you two and God. If you also choose to get legally married, cool. I fully support that. However, at no fault of you, but at total fault of the United States government, it's become super risky to do that with almost no actual benefit other than social pressure in or out of Christianity and a tax break. But the risks are high. The risks are so high that people are reconsidering. Marriage rates have never been as low as they are right now in human history. Since marriage has been a thing, we have never had so many people not doing it. We've never had so many people getting divorced 
And we've also had never so many people just choosing not to do it. They don't want anything to do it. So can, can are we able to draw any conclusion? Actually, are we able to draw any conclusive rules about modern marriage today from the historical biblical system of marriage? Or are they just too different? Are, are, is it possible for them to be reconciled so that us as Christians can say, okay, the Bible says this about marriage. I can correlate biblical marriage with modern marriage, and therefore I'm okay with following the rules that the Bible says that have to do with marriage, such as, is sex before marriage a sin? Can you reconcile them? Because that's the question of this whole damn talk, right? The Bible says don't do that. Cool, don't do what? Don't have sex before you're married. Cool, what's marriage? Biblical marriage is A. Modern day marriage is Z. What do we do? You're functioning off of something that doesn't relate to what the word means now. I don't think you can. I don't think it's possible to reconcile in any way. I think marriage today is too different. It's too different. So here are, here are my hot take thoughts, and then I'll open it up to anybody who wants to come on. I do have to go in like 20 minutes, 20 minutes. So if you want to speak, if you want to talk, speak up, then uh, come to Discord. Go down to the red dot section right here. It says event voice. Enter that channel. Mute your mic, and then let me know in the YouTube chat, and then we'll get you in. But here, here's, here's my opinion. And hate me or love me, I don't really care. I, I do not believe in any way you need to get legally married. I think it's 100% unnecessary. I think especially, again, at no fault of us, at no fault of people, men or women, but at absolute fault of the United States government. And honestly, I blame Reagan a hell of a lot. No fault divorce ruined everything. No incentives to stay together anymore. Divorce as you will for whatever reason you want. Also, no reason. You don't need any reason. Just get divorced. It ruined the institution of marriage. But beside the point, I don't think anybody needs to get legally married to be recognized as married before God. I think if two people get together, they line up promises to each other that align, sure, with what you say during a wedding ceremony, right? Because all that, all that stuff sounds good. All that stuff is what we're hoping for. It's where our heart is. It's, it's where our mind is. It's what we want. The problem is the signing of the document. I'm cool with everything else. I'm cool with the document too. But I think everything else is something you should do. Not a big ceremony. I'm not, I'm not big for the whole ceremony thing. That's a huge waste of money. But that's a personal opinion. Whatever. Whatever you guys want to do. But I think two people can come together. You can exchange the verbals as you would in front of a priest or a pastor at a church make the promise and then make the covenant with God. You promise with each other and then you promise with God. That is what marriage was for a very long time up until we decided it needed to have government involvement. I don't know why. I don't know why it needed to have government involvement, but at some point they decided it did. And again, the why is actually control. And we know that because why is marriage looking the way it is today too? Well, it's because of control. It's because of finances and control, but primarily control. So that is my opinion. That is the end all be all for me. I don't think you need it. I don't think you need it. So where does sex come in then? 
I have super conservative views about sex, actually. I don't think you should sleep with anybody until you become at, at least covenantally married. I do believe that. Have I adhered to that my whole life? No. Do I feel shame for that? For sure. For sure. Do I regret it with everybody but Kat? For sure. 100%. Absolutely. Rodriguez. Okay, who all wants to speak? Y'all gotta let me rant first, man. Be patient. Jeez. I was in the middle of a rant. You gotta let the rant simmer down. Simmer it down, and then I'll let y'all come in. Jeez, man. No love around here. All right, Rodriguez, you're on. Did you respond to Yeah. Can you hear me? I sure can. Really? Okay. Um, I do remember learning a little bit about biblical marriage. Uh-oh. I don't know if I can be heard. Uh, yeah, Hello? You should be able to. I can hear you fine. So they should. Oh, you know what? I think I have like an echo though. You don't on my end. Okay, okay. I think I'm okay. Yeah, okay, you're good. so one thing that I do remember learning about biblical covenants is I do remember um, in order for it to be like a legitimate marriage, there was this thing where you had to have two witnesses. So even in the Bible, whenever God makes covenants and he says things like, oh, I call heaven and earth as witnesses, it's because he's making a covenant. And even today, when you get married, you can't just go by yourself. You need two witnesses. So I will say there is some aspect of biblical principles being applied today with, yeah. with marriage. No, that of course. Sense. For sure. So there is that. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of biblical principles that apply with marriage today. But I, I think they're vastly outweighed by the rest. I agree with all that. But then you do have to kind of take the Malachi as just one example God was the witness in that scenario. So you you do have the, yeah, the covenant where there are up to two witnesses involved. But if that's just one, the Malachi verse that we went over is just one where it's just God. I don't think either is right or wrong, but just things to kind of consider. No, yeah. And like I said, this is a horrible topic for me because I I am (laughs) a nightmare for this. And I feel bad you know um and i think uh i think maybe i had some glasses of wine one time and my kids were like well do you regret it and i was like well yeah i missed out on a lot of uh good sex i don't know if i can say that no you can say that yeah (laughs) um yeah and it was kind of like yeah i mean that's a thing to say i regret doing what i was supposed to do no i mean i get it i get it I get that it can go either way. And people can can majorly regret having sex, but you can also majorly regret not having sex. For for whatever the reason is or whatever the series of events that causes you to feel that way is, I don't I don't see I don't think there's anything wrong with that unless it's coming from like an immoral place, but I don't well, think so. Well, wanting sex before marriage wouldn't that be an immoral place? I mean the <laughs> right? Yeah, but then it still comes back to the same thing. What is your view of what marriage is? If you're wanting to have sex with a whole bunch of different people, like at the same time, or even a few different people at the same time, (laughs) I personally think that's immoral. Yeah, I do. But that's just my opinion. Who the hell am I? No, 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 no. This was just actually, you know, no, I can't say that. I, I remember I was serving in ministry at the time and we did have to sign a contract. So I guess 
for that reason in terms of leadership i i guess i don't regret it but for selfish reasons absolutely i'm just being real yeah um but i mean think think about think about this man you got you got virtually every man that walks the planet is pumping with testosterone so let's let's talk about the 20 to 30 year old male there okay i want to talk about that in a minute but go ahead they're 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 just overflowing with testosterone any man who's young not any, but God, probably 90 plus percent of men who are between 20 and 30 who see a woman who is sexually pleasing to them, they are thinking about something, period, period. There are guys who develop good self-control. I developed good self-control over years, over years. And it's because I believe it is wrong. I truly believe that there, there's something that like hurts my spirit when I was looking at women in a sexual manner and like that wasn't my woman whether i was with somebody or not like it it just didn't sit right with me that i was having the thoughts that i was feeling the feelings and it just it felt immoral so i, I couldn't do it okay. but most men are thinking about sex with multiple people on a very frequent basis that's just a reality unless they've developed the habit of self-control so i it's i call, when i used to talk to youth guys i, I call it eye bouncing the minute your eye lands on something that sticks and you're attracted to that, yeah, bounce, motherfucker. Move on. Move on. Bounce right off of her and then go do something else. Because otherwise it's hard. Because as a guy, I've felt it. You just sex all the time. It's just all the time. Just 24 hours a day. We're down. We're there. It's just where like, it's physiological. So I'm going to get it. But people talk shit about women who have like high sex drives or who talk about sex the way that men yeah, talk about definitely- it. That drives me insane. Drives me well, crazy. That's, that's the other thing, too, is because remember, I, I've shared with you guys before that I grew up in a really strict religious home where everything is demonized. So I had yeah. to be careful even just being a mom like, hey, just so you know, once you reach a certain age, it's actually normal and healthy for you to have those desires. I'm not going to sit here and rebuke a spirit of lust, you know, or, you know, I think it's just way too demonized. Um But on that note, funny thing is, um, I know I've mentioned my health issues before. I didn't know that at this time where I was like, when I was like, quote unquote, waiting for marriage, my hormone levels were like shot. So Uh. anyone who was trying to give me some pat on the back, like I'm holier than thou, like, no, bro, my my (laughs) hormone levels were crap. Like, and to be honest with you, if you don't have a desire, you should probably go see a doctor and stop rebuking that spirit of lust that you think is a hormonal issue. Yeah. In my humble opinion. Yeah. I mean, the, the sex drive is not immoral. It's the, what you allow the drive to produce. In in my opinion, in my opinion, it's what you allow the drive to produce. Uh, I think the drive is very good. Sex is a super good thing. It's a very healthy. It's really good for right. you. Like all no, around. It's it's Emotionally, yeah. physically, spirit. I, I think all across the board. It's very, very healthy. The problem is that it's very hard to control. And that's like Paul talks about that. It's very hard to control. That's where people get into trouble, I think. But yeah, I think, yeah. It's, I think it's one of the greatest things that is a part of this life is sex. Amen. And like Amen. most men say that, but I, I mean it on like a very emotional and spiritual level, like uh, not just like a get off level. Like it's, it's, it's super important. It's, I always expect it's the one thing that you do with somebody that idealistically you should never do with somebody else. Or at least once you're committed to somebody, 
you should never do with somebody else. It's the thing well, that differentiates you it. from it's your friends. Healing. What's that? Well, yeah, yeah. But it's actually good for you. It's healing. So, like, it's, yeah. it's, I remember going over this with some of my doctors. I'm like, hey. And they're like, no, yeah, it's a painkiller. It's an antidepressant. It's, you know, when I was. For sure. With, you, anyways, he, his blood pressure would actually be down at a normal, healthy level. So, it's like. Yeah. I have high blood yeah, pressure. I mean, yeah. I know the game. It's super good. Yeah. So. It's very helpful. Yeah, I mean, if you really think about it, man, the, it's wild that it's it's one of the only things you'll only do with someone you're, like, committed to in one way. I mean, God, hookup culture and whatever aside, nor right. most people. It's, like, it's what differentiates your commitment to just any, any other human engagement you have for your entire life. It's the differentiating right. factor, or it should be. It's wild. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But that's it. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. Does anybody else want to come on? Otherwise, we're going to start wrapping it up. Uh, I did look back and I saw that I kind of missed a whole bunch while I was ranting before I got yelled at for ranting. So, uh, Rusty Sage. I don't know if you're still here, but I'm asking because... I'm in a two-year marriage with someone who cheated on me twice, and I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know if divorce is the right answer, if I should stay in this still. And the initial was, what about if a partner cheats on you consistently? I mean, I'll give you my opinion. Don't, don't make a move off of my opinion, though. Please don't. Um, talk to other people. But uh, it's an instant you're done to me. To me, but I, I like I said, I have very, I have very conservative words or very conservative views of sex. It's it's the thing that I'm more conservative about than anything else, and I have pretty conservative views on a lot of things. And I don't mean politically; I mean literally. I have very conservative traditional views on like life and relationships and raising children and stuff like that. But I, I think if somebody cheats on you, I think there's very few situations you should stay with them at all, and that's one time. But if somebody perpetually cheats on you, I think they're gone. I think you're gone immediately. There's no conversation. There's no nothing. Sierra, I guess I'm the odd one out. I'm Christian. And I don't believe premarital sex is a sin. Potentially very stupid. How are you the odd man out? I feel like most of us have kind of agreed to that. Sierra, yeah, that's confusing to me. I agree with you. I don't think premarital sex is a sin. If we're talking about modern marriage, because I don't agree with modern marriage. But if you're saying you should just be able to sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, just because it feels good and you like it, then then, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. I think it's damaging to you. I think it's damaging to the person. I think it's damaging to society. I think it's damaging to the world at large. These people who have this idea that you should just sleep with whatever walks. I, I dramatically disagree with it. Eye bouncing, Danny, it's the way to go, man. When I used to talk to young boys, it was eye bouncing. Bounce those eyes, boy. Yes, Joe, spiritual is the word I was looking for. Yeah, man, that's that's one thing without getting too, uh, too intimate right now. That I did not know that sex could actually be spiritual until I did. Uh, it seemed dumb. Seemed like some stupid Hollywood crap. I learned otherwise. And uh, and that, I mean, dramatically 
changed all of my views about sex. Sex is the is in my opinion is one of the most spiritual things you can do with somebody because again, it is the one thing that in my view you should only do with one person until you both die. But even outside of my very traditional views, it's the one thing you should do with very 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 few people until you die. And it differentiates those types of relationships with literally every other relationship you have your entire life, no matter where you are. It's huge. It's very big. It's very spiritual. I feel like society today is trying to normalize casual sex. Well, Danny, you're behind, man. Casual sex done been normalized. We're way past that, I think. I mean, I know that's happening. Things are rough out there. Things are super rough out there. Danny, go watch the Whatever Podcast. That's your homework. Watch one episode of the Whatever Podcast and then come talk to me again. Bro, it's, uh, it's worse than you think. It's, it's disgusting out there. Till death do us part, that's the part that sucks to read. Yeah, it's the part that sucks, man, but... Till death do us part can still exist on your part. Just because she abandoned that doesn't mean that you did. You don't stay with somebody who's abusing you. And cheating on you, in my opinion, is a form of abuse. It's abandonment at least. At least. You can still be in the mindset of till death do us part. She wrecked that. You did not wreck that. I, I'm assuming you're a guy because of your name, so I'm sorry if you're a girl. Either way, though, the other party wrecked till death do us part. You did not. You did everything you could. The fact that you're still there is wild to me, so good for you. But I, I could not do it. I would never be able to look at them. They are. Even older men are that way. It's why I haven't dated in a while. That's the first thing they make known they want. See, and that's, that's, that's the wildest thing to me. For men to like push sex right out the gate is so uncomfortable to think about. If I ever, if, if I ever am so unfortunate to have to go back into the dating world, I would just become a priest. Like there, there's no way after seeing what the dating landscape is like now, Kat and I talk about it all the time. There's no way I would survive. There's no way I would survive. But there's also, there's no way if somebody tried to come on to me within like a couple days that I wouldn't just completely shut down and have no clue how to respond to that. Like, no, please don't touch me. <laughs> please don't touch me. Thank you. I will, uh, I'll get you a cap. I can't, I, this sex, like right when you meet somebody is just crazy. I agree. I understand that part all too well. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's really sad that, uh, it's a very sad situation. I agree. I think casual sex is damaging, but sex before even covenantal marriage does not strike me as wrong. Why? Sierra, why? I, I, don't, I don't have any problem with that belief. The, the only reason I think that belief is risky, Sierra, that sex, sex before covenantal marriage does not strike you as wrong is because then where's the line? Can you just have sex with whoever you feel like you want to? That's casual sex. Like you, you, The statement in and of itself is kind of contradictory. You think casual sex is damaging, but you don't think sex outside of a covenant or a promise is wrong. But wouldn't that be casual sex? Or maybe, maybe try to explain it in a different way. I think sex is still a sacred act that deserves appropriate respect. Well, sacred is holy, so now I'm even more confused. I think you're entitled to feel however you feel. 
But I, I think maybe the way you feel is a little bit complicated, to say it plainly. If casual sex is damaging, then sex should be made between two people who are very serious with each other, who have made promises, and as a Christian that you are, that would be a promise between you, somebody else, and God. Therefore, it's a covenant. In, from my view, it's a covenant. So then the sex would be okay. Any sex outside of the covenant is casual sex. It's you having sex with someone kind of just because. Just because you want it. Just because it feels good. Because you love them. Well, cool. If you love them. But how many dudes are you going to love? How much is that going to go around? Shoot, I'm at work right now. I'll give it a check later. Dude, they're super long. Maybe, maybe, maybe Google like uh, or YouTube... Whatever podcast, uh, like clips or hot takes or something, because they're like three or four hours long. It is not for the faint of heart. But if you find like a clip that puts all these savage moments together, do you will you will lose your mind. It is the wildest thing you'll ever hear. I had no idea how bad it was until I started listening to that podcast. I thought about becoming a nun, <laughs> but I'm not Catholic. But they want to work on things now after the second, second instance, claiming spiritual change has happened. I don't know what to believe and I don't want, I don't even want to be happy. I just want to do what God wants me to do. Dude, it's real rough. It's real rough. I don't know. I don't know. I think there are cases where people bounce back from that and then the marriage is saved. I personally don't think I'd be able to deal with it. Personally. That doesn't mean you can't deal with it. You might be able to deal with it. And then you might be able to save your marriage. And maybe they actually have changed. And then all will be well. To me, it's an expression of, of a serious inward character problem. But again, there are situations where people have turned around and like the marriage has been fine. I think there are many more situations where the person eventually goes back to cheating. It's just, it's to me, and I'm very analytical, so to me it's a, it's a statistical problem. And statistics are on the side of the person admitting the same behavior repeatedly. Statistics are not on the side of somebody changing their behavior dramatically and never repeating that old behavior. Are there anomalies? For sure. So maybe your situation will be an anomaly. Is it casual to sleep with someone you're dating long-term that you would hope to marry? No. And see, that, that's, that's kind of the difference. So that's, we'll call that pre-marriage. So even pre-marriage, I think is risky, but I don't have a huge problem with. Pre-marriage sex. No. But, but it's still, like, in a month, in, a, in two months, is that the best idea? I don't, I don't think so. I think if you can wait, you're better off. But I think if you all date for, you know, Six months? Like, there's not a real, real number, but, like, spend a good amount of time with each other, really get to know each other. It depends on how quick you guys move. How much are you talking? How intimate do you get? Like, are you guys spilling your entire life story? Do you guys know everything about each other? How quickly you progress? I think you should make the decision that, like, yeah, we both want to get married. So now let's figure out how to get married. I don't really think it's all that bad if you guys have sex at that point. I still think it's better if you wait until you actually... You actually get married to the person, whatever that looks like, whether it's legal or non-legal. Don't mistake that dopamine hit for love, man. It's gotten us all at some point. Don't mistake that dope hit for love either. 
they're both uh, both rough deals. Well, my girl isn't Christian, but we've been together for over a year, and we're serious with each other, but I couldn't make a covenant with her because of that. I don't think I'm really sinning at this point. Yeah, you'll get, I mean, you'll get the people who tell you the, the fact that she's not Christian makes you a sinner, which is just kind of kind of funny because the Bible doesn't say anything about it. And then they'll throw the equally yoke verse at you, which it also isn't about that. But Christians decided like 20 years ago that the unequally yoked verse is about marriage specifically and is about uh, conflicting faiths specifically, which it is not. I think it's hard to be with somebody who doesn't share your faith or, or at least share like a, I guess maybe a similar view on spirituality. Like there needs to be some kind of confluence, I think. Otherwise, it's really hard. In most cases, I feel like it's really hard for you to perform the way that you should or could be as, you know, whatever you want to call yourself, spiritual or Christian or whatever it is. I think it's difficult to do that if you're with somebody who doesn't see any value or any truth in spirituality at all. But I, I mean, people do it and it works and people are happy. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, oxytocin, the love neurochemical. That's what, again, like when I, whenever I talk to like youth, I would talk to them about, it's the oxytocin that makes you feel like like every adult, once you're grown, life is so easy because you can look back and be like, God, I was so stupid. But every adult looking back to like your younger years, I think I would say every one of us was like, I loved that person at the time. I loved them. I was going to marry them. I was going to have or give them babies. Like it's it. This is it. Shut up, mom. This is it. And then 10 years later, you're like, God, I was so stupid. I was so stupid. It was just a bunch of emotion. It was a bunch of uh, unintelligence. And it was a bunch of oxytocin that was just flooding your brain, just flooding your brain. And it, it's confusing. And this is, this is the same reason why when I talk to people who are having issues, when I do like pastoral care with people who are looking at divorcing or breaking up, I'll talk to them. I'll be like, quit having sex. Stop. Because every time you have sex, you're rewiring to each other. And it's not, it's not out of logic or ration or reason or desire or love or care. It's out of oxytocin. It's, it's a flood of dopamine and oxytocin that makes you feel like you're in love with the person when you're actually not. And that's why you guys have been on and off and on and off and on and off for six years. And you won't just break up because every time you get close, you guys have sex and then your chemistry gets confused again. And then it takes you guys to argue for six months again. It's so annoying. So annoying, Sarah. Thank you. I'll get off here in just one second. Unequally yoked. I will add it to the list. Sarah's uh, being lovely and telling me I need to shut up and get off here because I do. I do. I have other things I got to do. One of my surgeons also said endorphins. There's a bunch of them when you're doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Endorphins heavily. Dopamine, oxytocin, uh, endorphins, and some for some people adrenaline. For a lot, a lot of guys, more so, um, depending on the type of sex you're having, guys will get adrenaline rushes, which is like just, so you're basically just getting real high when you're having good sex. You're just getting super high. I'm confused as well. If you're okay with sex before marriage, why do you feel like it's not okay to have sex before a covenant-based marriage? No. No, unless I'm reading this wrong. 
If you're okay with sex before marriage, why do you feel like it's not okay to have sex before a covenant? Because I'm not okay with sex before marriage. I'm okay with sex before a legal marriage because I don't think you need to ever get legal married. I do, I've said, I believe it's best to wait to have sex until you have covenantally married somebody. I do believe that. But like your thing, Sierra, I think if you're like in the pre-marriage process, like you guys pretty sure you're going to do it, talking about the future, you guys have gone through, you know, hopefully a year, two years of the process, but at the very least, like six months or so, hopefully. Um, I don't think anybody should ever consider getting married under six months or a year. I think it's a horrible idea, but I think it happens uh, and it works out for a lot of people. But if you're in the pre-marriage process, I still, like I said, I don't really have a problem with that personally. And who cares what I think, man? It's just one dude's opinion. But I'm just saying, I don't really care. I don't think it's that bad. If every intention you have is to marry the person, cool. Is there risk there, though? Sure, because you didn't. But is there risk still once you get covenantally or legally married? Yeah, the risk remains, man. It just depends on how serious the two people take it. Is it death deal you deal, is it death why am I just totally blanking? It's because it's 740 and I need to get off. Is it until death do you part? Or is it until this is not convenient? This does not feel good anymore. You annoy me. I don't like the TV shows you watch. We have nothing in common. Or is it death do us part? Because I don't think any of the rest of it matters. If it's a convenience thing, if it's because it feels good, if it's because, oh, baby, I love you. I feel, I feel things about you. Well, you're not always going to feel that shit. It's just, you're not, you're not, it's going to come and go. And love at some point becomes a choice. All right, two more minutes, two more minutes. And then I got to get off. Well, she's pretty much agnostic Jew. So it works enough. Yeah. Hey, but I can understand it being difficult, not being able to share most I, I assume an important aspect of my life. I wouldn't suggest it. I wouldn't suggest anybody do it though. Yeah, it's just complicated. It's hard. It's hard. That's a whole nother story. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll do that though. The the unequally yoked thing. That that'd be a good one to kind of cover too. Serotonin. Oh boy. Hey Joe, do you have the ministry manual book? Which ministry manual book? I have, I think I have like four different ministry manual books from seminary. But yeah, I mean, I have like the marital vows. I don't, I think they're in a box in the attic, but I'll, I can break them out and we can pull them on the next room if you guys want. All right, Shannon, Shannon, you will be it. Was I a Okay, fish? hi. Hey, hey. What's up? Okay, so real quick, um, you know, for issues that me and my husband had that some of you are aware of um honestly one thing that really helped our marriage is reading the bible together and just genuinely spending time with each other and bringing god back into our marriage i think that's what really saved us yep it's a big change man it was a huge change i saw a difference in him he saw a difference in me and genuinely, we just became happier. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like in general, we were happier. Well, I think it's, I think it's the difference. Think about it like this. You got 
How many people are running around? Sierra, I'm getting you a link right now. So just be patient for a second. How many people are running around the world right now married? Even if they're kind of happy, kind of happy, maybe not happy. Maybe they're absolutely miserable, whatever. How many people mm-hmm. are, are like spiritually married? Not so many. But if no, you've ever that. met, if you've ever met people who are like spiritually married, they're uncomfortably awesome. They're like uncomfortably nice. They're uncomfortably connected. The way they interact with each other is like very different. It's a very different level. It's like, it's like to a degree they can read each other's minds. It's just very odd. And I've only, I've only met a few and cat cat and I are like, we are on a very different level. And that's why I don't, I don't know what the hell I do if her and I ever didn't work out. And I'm more married to that woman than I ever thought marriage could ever be. But it's, it's just, it's a different thing, dude. It's a different thing. For sure. No, I 100% understand where you're coming from. And I see a bunch of these kids that just got married because they want BAH. And they're running around and they're like 18, 19 years old and getting married. And it's just like they're not even getting married for love. They're just doing it for the money. And it's just so heartbreaking to see because uh, Gargar and I are kind of old souls. We just, we believe in the biblical part of marriage and... We did get away from that, and there was a time where him and I actually almost did get divorced. Yeah. But we made it work, and we couldn't be any more happier with each other. It changes everything, man. That's good. Uh, good. Uh, good input there. That's a good way. Good place to end. I'm losing it right now. Yeah. <sighs> go to bed. Yeah, I know. Or something. Gotta, I don't know. <laughs> I gotta go do some other work, and then hopefully go to bed. But all right, thanks. That was good. That was very good. All right, Sierra, there is a link to Discord. Once you go in there, go to the welcome channel, which is at the very top. Actually, let me show you. I got it up. Why not show you? All right, so at the very top, there. well, one, there's this events tab. Any stream that's upcoming will be here. We're obviously in the stream, so it's gone. But Sundays will be up there, too. And then if you come to welcome, there's a tutorial right here. It's very short. I did it on my phone, and it's just like the basics to... Just to know enough to be able to use it. And then you'll figure the rest out as you go. Like, it's really not that complicated. Um, it still goes way over my head. Luckily, we have Sarah, who's lovely and phenomenal and fabulous, who kind of take care of all the Discord stuff. But, uh, but it's, not, it's not super hard. So once you get in there, you're, uh, you're pretty good to go. All right, let me take this off the screen. And then let's see... What we've got to guys remember Sarah's got the prayer thing pretty much all not pretty much totally set up and it functions absolutely beautifully. So we have a few here, I believe. Public public. I always want to double check. I don't want to put people on blast. Oh, man, we got more than a few. All right. Rodriguez requesting prayer for finding a new place to live as she is running out of time to move from where she is now. She is very stressed. So please also pray for peace through the situation as she has chronic illnesses and the stress makes it worse. Yeah, for sure. Also, please pray that the places she has reached out to will return her calls and she can move soon. I feel like that's been going on for a while, man. You're still struggling with that. She is down to the wire and she is still trusting God for a last minute miracle regardless. Pray that God moves quickly in that situation. So maybe just running out of time. Man, that's hard. See, 
Please pray for my, oh, this is Sarah. Please pray for my department manager. He left early on June 27th and we just got an update. He will be out until the middle of August. Not sure what is going on. Just pray that whatever it is, God is with him. Yeah, geez, man. I feel like there's always so much stuff going on. Shannon is requesting prayer for a fellow service member that she works with. The service member's name is Amanda. Amanda and her mom were held at gunpoint a couple of years ago. They went to court and testified, but the offender appealed his case and won. Lovely. What great judicial justice. Now both her and her mom have to go in and testify against him all over again while knowing his girlfriend was taking pictures of them during the first time around. She's really anxious and scared and is looking for prayer. Jeez, man. That's rough. That's so rough. Teal is requesting prayer. Pray for the... <laughs> Sarah's so funny. Uh, Teal is requesting prayer for a friend who has given six months to a year unless he gets a liver transplant. Oh, my God. He is asking for prayer. He is, a, he is scared and is in the hospital because he can't shake the fever. He has prayers for the liver transplant sooner than later, prayers for a miracle hearing, and prayers for comfort and peace for his family. Thanks, Sarah. Just put in there right now because she knows I forget every time. Pray for the animals. So, God, for, for all these that were dropped within the past couple of days and for all of the rest over the past few weeks as I haven't been too great for this, please just, all, all of this stuff, just keep an eye on. You're going to do whatever you're going to do. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen to a point. Pray that whoever does have some kind of control in these specific situations, whether it be doctors or whether it be lawyers in some cases and judges and judicial systems, whoever it is that the people act the way they should, that they make good choices, they make, they make and take good actions so that we have good outcomes. I believe most of us here believe there's a lot of free agency in the world, and that means a lot of people get a lot of choices, and sometimes choices produce something good, and sometimes choices produce something bad, some of them within your will and some of them kind of more towards the will of those who do not have our best interests in mind. So for all of those, please just keep your involvement, whatever it's going to be, whatever it is, and let let that seep through the people who have direct agency over an involvement in those things so that we can have some good outcomes to it. We also want to pray for culture just in general. It's broken, it's hurting, it's confused. Pray for all the kids growing up, Gen Z, even the older millennials that every everybody just gets a good head on their shoulders. Again, everybody kind of gets a good, just a grip, man. Everybody needs a grip. Everybody needs to see the world for what it actually is. Everybody needs to stop turning a blind eye to what is actually going on and that we have goodness. Try to come back, whatever that looks like, however that looks now will be in the modern day. We just need goodness. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.